Hello, and welcome to this episode of Triggered and True, featuring renowned emotional health consultant, Laura Duncan. Thank you for being here, and thank you for investing the time to learn how to take care of your soul. If this podcast sparks any questions, feel free to submit a question by going to triggeredandtrue.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page, and clicking ask. If you would like to learn more about Laura Duncan, we encourage you to follow Laura on Instagram and Facebook. Also, a great resource for you to consider is the Compassion Method Master Course. This course is a deep dive into Laura's life work, the Compassion Method. The Compassion Method is a process that empowers you to learn to see and comfort your internal pain and to discover your true self, your true self, that beautiful, wonderful part of you that has been there all along, but has simply been covered up. To obtain the Master Course, go to CompassionMethod.net and as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount that can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. This episode is really close to both Laura and I's heart because it's talking about parent relationships with their adult children. It's a stage of life that we're both very much currently in. So we start off the podcast talking about brain development of children from, you know, from infancy to adulthood and just what's the parents' roles in each one of those areas of brain development and how does it change over time? And then when we recognize as their kids are getting older, maybe we're still treating them like they're younger. What's going on inside of us? And we're going to talk a lot about that and how that relates to our relationship with our adult children. So this is a great episode, obviously, for people that have adult age children, but also for people that maybe don't, but maybe they are an adult child and they're wondering why the heck their parents treat them the way that they do. And it's just going to give a lot of enlightenment. And maybe your kids are younger and it's good, great to be proactive about this. This episode is going to be great for everybody. And I really encourage you to take a listen. You will not be disappointed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Triggered and True with myself, Brian Freisey, and Laura Duncan. Laura, how are you doing today? Doing good this morning. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit uneasy about today's topic. <laughs> Getting home, close to home. <laughs> it is close to home. So for myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. So today's topic is very close to home for both of us. And we had several people write in and request that we do this as a topic. And I thought, you know, I think it'll be very beneficial, not only for the viewing audience, but also for Laura and I both personally. So, yeah, I agree. Yep. So today we're going to be talking about parenting and the relationship that parents have with their adult children. And both Laura and I are very much in the arena on this one. So we're not going to go out here and say we're experts. Of course, Laura never positions herself as an expert. Correct, Laura? <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah. And why is that? And, no, just joking. And, and we've talked about this before, but what is your what is your thought process around, you know, and being an expert at something versus being more of a lifelong learner? 
Well, just, I mean, with the compassion method, particularly, um, it's just an ongoing process of being able to connect with my own journey, my own process. And I've said many times that, you know, I'm going to be triggered for the rest of my life, just like everybody else is going to, but it's learning what to do with it. And it's learning what triggers are and being able to walk through that that helps you be able to have this be an ongoing process versus most people are trying to become an expert where they have no reactions, no triggers, no problems whatsoever. But I mean, there's always an opportunity for compassion, no matter how far along you are in this journey. And I was, I was explaining this to a gentleman I was talking to last week as it's really about learning to come home. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're one of the things I read, I was reading some old notes in some of, from some of my early sessions with you. And one of the things you talked about was it's not so much the trigger that's the issue. It's the fact that there was a segment of time that you were separated from yourself. Yeah. And so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. But also when you say it, I'm like, oh, that is so sad. And that is yeah. the biggest wound and pain is that separation. Yeah, you said that. You remember saying that? Yes, I do. <laughs> but it got me. We <laughs> repeated it, got it you. just now. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it is. A... Lifelong journey with yourself. Yeah. So really what we're doing, while we're not becoming experts, like, you know, we know everything, we got this figured out, you know, but what we are doing is learning how to come back home more quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as you engage this process, that will be the result. You know, yeah. that will be a very tangible result that you will... Still have those moments where you separate from yourself, your amygdala will get hijacked, you'll be in your triggered brain, you'll say or do or something stupid, and <laughs> but you will recognize quicker yeah, what you did. Exactly. And and also potentially, um, you know, the triggers won't be as big because mm -hmm. they're not going to be building on top of each other. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, definitely fewer and farther between and they aren't as big, but still there to remind us that um, of the areas in our life that we have wounds, but also like you're saying, the areas that we aren't connected to ourselves. And that's just such a good reminder because we get so busy and so distracted by things that we forget that we aren't as connected as we're meant to be. Yeah. So as we think about this topic and uh, parenting adult children, or maybe a better way to say it is the relationship parents have with their adult children. Yeah. And let's start off by just talking about brain formation, talk a little bit about brain science and like mm -hmm. what parent what parent responsibilities are at different ages and kind of how that changes over time. So you talk a lot about the early foundational being zero to 12. Mm -hmm. And that's based, of course, on scientific research that shows that's yeah the there is the most brain development happening in our entire lives, right? During, yep, that exactly. zero to, during that zero to 12 mm -hmm. window. Most formative time in our whole entire life. Yeah. What's the, okay. So during that most formative time, what is a parent's role and responsibility? We are their primary caregivers from zero to 12 years old. Their brains are not developed enough to be able to make the decisions and to be able to see the world the way that um, is truly how we see the world. And so what we're ultimately doing zero to 12 years old as a parent is we're lending our adult sophisticated brain to our children for them to be able to begin to learn and to grow what they need in their lives and how their brain is supposed to process. During that time, our children need us. They definitely need us. But after zero to 12 years old, that need begins to change 
because they no longer need us for those formative years because their brains are starting to progress and starting to develop and they're starting to have their own brain. That's why teenage years can be really challenging for many parents because they're actually redoing their toddler years to a certain degree during that time because they're starting to figure out their boundaries. They're starting to figure out how their brain works. Their brain still is not fully developed, of course. So that's why sometimes teenagers are making irrational decisions and aren't making the best decisions, but it is beginning to form on a deeper level. And they're beginning to have more of their own autonomy and more of their own brain development. And so the need for a parent to be there after 12 years old begins to progressively diminish until the point that our children are adults, they no longer need us in that same capacity. So if we go back to the zero to 12 and kind of just key on that for a second, you talk a lot about the difference between capital N needs and lower case N needs. And in zero to 12, everything is a capital N need. And those needs really are the 10 gifts. Mm-hmm. So exactly, we, we've done several podcasts on those and you can go back and search for 10 gifts and you'll, you'll see the different podcasts we've done, but those 10 gifts being, um, why don't you just list them off, Laura? And then. So during those zero to 12 years old, not only is it our um, job or responsibility as parents to take care of our basic needs, our basic physical needs, like food and a lot, um, a, you know, a roof over our heads and clothing and all those things, but our emotional being able to help meet our kids' emotional needs is also our responsibility. And it's something that sometimes parents don't realize. They feel like they're checking all the boxes, but they don't realize that we are actually meant to be giving our kids their emotional needs during that period. So zero to 12 years old, the focus emotionally is to see your children, to hear your children, to accept your children, to play with your children, to teach your children, to show them that they're valuable, that they're enough, to give affection and to be with them in those emotional needs, because those are their capital in needs during that time. And the two that Laura and the two that Laura missed were protect and protect and provide. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the backup. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was counting them down as you were going through. You're like, wait, that's only eight. Protect is very important. Provide sometimes is a a given for a lot of parents, but yes, all the rest. But when you say capital N, it's like, if you don't do that for their children, obviously someone thinks, yeah, if I don't provide for them, if I don't feed them, they're going to die. But also if you don't see Mm -hmm. them, yeah. If you don't hear them, yeah. if they don't have physical affection, mm-hmm. not only could they potentially die, they are severely stunted throughout exactly. life. And yeah. you might not think that being seen or heard is as important as being protected or provided mm-hmm. for, yep. but it's every bit as important. Exactly. Correct? Yep. And it's part of brain development as well. When those gifts are active and being given during those ages, it creates a stability in the brain. It creates a stability of a safety to be able to learn and develop as in um, to the degree that each age and each, you know, there's even in zero to 12, there is segments that we need more, you know, more of the gifts, more of that connection. Um, but then as we transition, like we're talking about, we don't capital in need those anymore. It kind of progressively goes from that capital in need to what we're meant to be as adults, which is the lowercase in need because our needs are met. Yeah. And our children are capable of getting their needs met. Mm-hmm. 
on their own. They're capable of providing for themselves mm-hmm. and protecting and so on and so forth. So, yes. so zero 12 nurture caregiving, and then let's say 12 to 18, we talked about that being more of like training and equipping. It's kind of mm-hmm. that tra- transitory period where exactly you start putting the ball in their court a little bit mm-hmm. more and yep. trying to help them critically think and not in a intimacy or connection way, but in just a, uh, a, we start to be able to create a greater space for them to start to learn and develop on their own. Yeah. So I noticed, you know, as my kids are going through teenage years, you're slowly kind of backing away from them, not your heart, but your, you know, how much control, your control over their lives, <laughs> Yes. your control, you start to let them make mistakes. You start to let them figure things out for themselves or, or obviously that's the goal. Sometimes it's very hard as parents to give them that space for their brain develop and for them to be able to start to make those mistakes on their own. But that is very important for brain development because that's how they learn. We kind of talked about how control is really kind of an illusion anyway, you know, like it when you're such an illusion, <laughs> when they're toddlers, we can put them in the pack and play and we mm-hmm. think we, we have control. We, we they can't control. get into things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so as they're growing older, so then 12 to 18, more about training and equipping mm-hmm. and kind of my thought process was then maybe that next period is 18 to 25 because mm-hmm. 25 is a key data point yeah. because yep. that's on average where most people's brain development kind of largely finishes. Yep, exactly. At 25 years old, your brain is fully developed. It doesn't mean that you won't continue to grow and, and, and all learn those things. Right. And we learn. know that our brain's moldable. Exactly. So we can continue to learn. We can continue to grow. It's no, it's no longer what they believed before to be, um, you know, where they thought that at 25, your brain was developed and you couldn't change, but we have neuroplasticity that allows us to change. But at 25 years old, your brain is fully developed. So building blocks are all done. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, then the 18 to 25 year old range as parents were transitioning more to, I kind of looked at it more as a leadership role. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not mentor leader. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then uh, once they're 25 and beyond, I looked at it more as mentorship. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, because yeah. leadership, because their brain is still developing. The mentorship is your brain is developed now, but now we're here just to be a support to you in the process. A guide, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And I think as people listening to this, they can probably, whether it's themselves or whether it's people they know or even how their own parents handled the situation as they grew mm-hmm. older or handle them today, yeah. they, re- they can recognize where there's definitely places of this going awry. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Too, too much control trying to be uh, implemented at older ages, too much mm-hmm. meddling, too much unhealthiness in that mm-hmm. dynamic. So, but you definitely have some. I mean, obviously, we both have adult children now, but I mean, but in general, I have empathy and compassion, though, because it is tricky, you know. Totally. They're adults now. So, technically, at 18 years old, they are responsible for themselves and they are adults. But then there's this kind of like feeling inside of our hearts as parents of like, they're not ready for this. <laughs> you know, you look at an 18 year old and you're like, really? This this is an adult. Okay. You know, but you could tell they're not ready. So for them to be able to start to make those big decisions can be very triggering because it doesn't, we know instinctively they're not ready for it because their brain is not developed. You know, in, in the more complex the society and the more complex society gets, the the more they have to know. So the less ready they feel. So if you mm-hmm. think about it, uh, 150 years ago, kids grew up a lot faster. Yeah. 
And that's not that's not a slam on today's parenting techniques or today's kids, but it's just that it was a simpler life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, you I was started go- to work the family business. You started to have more responsibility because that was just the process of growing up. But life was a lot less less complex with mm-hmm. our affluence, with our progressiveness has come a lot of complexity. Like I was going over the other day, my 22 year old daughter, um, uh, health insurance stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm in the insurance industry, not partially I'm in the insurance industry. I'm not in the health insurance industry, but I know a li- I actually took the exam wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I still look at health insurance and I'm just like, how in the world does anybody figure this out? Yeah, especially in <laughs> when you're comparing 19, plans and it's just like, no, I life agree. is life is so much more complicated. And applying to colleges. I mean, I was trying, you know, I've, I've been helping my kids through that process for the last several years. And it's so complicated. You're like, how does an average person, even an average adult be able to help their kids walk through that? Because it's just so complex. Yeah. I mean, I had my list of colleges was so much more limited, partially because I had to be connected to home because I worked on the farm. So I had a geographical region that I had to be close to. And I had a budget that I had to really adhere to. Whereas my kids didn't have a geographical limit and we've been blessed that we didn't have to have as tight a budget. So all of a sudden that just opens up. Mm -hmm. I had three colleges to pick from. When my daughter got to it, there was literally hundreds. Like it was, it was crazy. So the process is definitely more complex. Yeah. So, so a lot of this is with our children, why parents can't let go is that it's very hard for them to be okay while their kids are struggling. Yeah. Still in that developmental phrase, but you're supposed to be hands-off because they're adults now. Or more hands-off, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) There's the transition of hands-off. Yes, exactly. So this whole learning to be okay, we talk about that a lot in the world of emotional health, where we define okay as being clear-minded, tender-hearted, and at peace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So learning to be okay mm-hmm. when our children are not, or when <laughs> exactly. you know that they're making decisions that suck, mm-hmm. <laughs> that are, are like really bad. We talk about like the knowledge of good and evil and all that stuff, but like there really are bad decisions. <laughs> there are, and there are bad consequences that come bad from those decisions, bad, bad consequences. And it so. feels again, as a parent, that the stakes are so much higher when they're adults because it goes on their record if they make a terrible decision. You know, there's a lot less leniency during that time. And so you start to feel that pressure of more lifelong decisions being made after adulthood. Well, let's let's empathize a little bit and talk specifically about why this is harder for our own children than like watching the neighbor's children go through this. Okay. <laughs> so why is it so much harder when they are our children? There's harder obvious not, reasons. Not our children? When they or, are our children. When they are our children. I'm like, it's a lot harder when they are your children. Yeah. I mean, um, we have the obvious things, but let's just kind of talk through them. Yeah. So what happens is your spouse or significant other and your children are your closest, are closest to your pain, closest to your wounds. And not only that, your children are uniquely connected to your wounds because if you didn't get your 10 gifts, if you didn't get, if you have wounds and pain, your children felt those lack, they felt that pain. And so when your kids are growing up now and don't have the things that they need, it's a direct connection to the responsibility that we have as parents of our own shame as parents and our own 
belief that we have to be more for our kids because they're our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That part about them being closer to our pain, because sometimes people are like, why am I most triggered around my children or my, Mm -hmm. and they feel so much guilt around that or around my spouse. Well, it's because they are closest to your pain. They are exactly. And And, it's so personal, even more sometimes than a spouse, because they are your blood, you know, they are your direct connection to you and how you raise them with your pain and your strengths. Right. And that's where you talked about the shame. Mm-hmm. So if your children are making poor decisions, yeah, that's a reflection of you mm-hmm. or so you think. Yeah. And it isn't, it, it, it actually is in many ways. It's both. It yeah, is it's because both, yeah. zero to 12 years old, it was our job to be able yeah. to give our kids 10 gifts, to be able to nurture and to care for them. And in some ways we, we did an excellent job and in some ways we weren't able to give them what they needed. And so it is directly connected to us not in shame and blame, but just in the facts, the inventory of what we were able to give our kids. You know, I had to sit down with my own kids with the 10 gifts and go through and see what they received and didn't receive. I didn't feel a lot of shame during that process because I actually was so excited that my kids were going to be able to get what I wasn't going to be able to give them. I felt less shame of like, I'm terrible because I didn't give my kids things. Well, you had already done a lot of hard work. Exactly. You had already, you had already agreed with your adversary. You had already said, Hey, exactly. Yeah. I didn't do that. No, exactly. I screwed that up. I did the best I could with what I knew. Exactly. That's where I was at. And so instead of going, I'm a horrible person because I didn't give my kids what they needed. I actually became so hopeful. I did not give my kids certain aspects that they needed, but others were there. And when I was able to show my kids what they were able to receive from other people, it was so beautiful to see those holes be filled up that I wasn't able to give. And then you all know my story of my husband passing away and kids and the kids were in such formative ages. They were three through eight years old. And so that's early childhood development. So Mm -hmm. by most standards, you know, they're you know, their life is going to be terrible because they're not going to have a father there. But when I was able to give the 10 gifts and then be able to help them recognize the fathers that stood in the gap because their dad wasn't there and they were able to receive it, that was also extremely hopeful. So we move past shame and we recognize that our lack did influence our children, but we are now able to help meet our kids' needs just as much as we're able to meet our needs. There's actually more hope there than shame. But you're hitting on a really great point, and I think we should go there. And yeah. you you kind of hit on it without even realizing you hit on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the point is, is that kind of one of the big zingers here is that, guess what, folks? This has nothing to do with your kids. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, and we can't blame them. Oh, Cannot blame our kids. <laughs> it's so and fun to blame your kids. <laughs> we can't blame our kids, but we also can't shame ourselves because exactly. a lot of times we shame ourselves thinking that that'll help fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. that'll fix the disconnect. If I feel bad about this, if I feel crappy enough about this, if I yeah. beat myself up about this, I'll pay my penance yep. and somehow it'll make the situation better. Yeah, But all that does is deflect from actually you mm-hmm. getting your heart yes. mended. And also when you're in shame, you're hiding, you're self-protecting and you're separated from your children. So mm-hmm. the very shame that we think is helping us be better parents because we're recognizing all of our lack and we're shaming ourselves for it is actually separating you from your children. Yeah, because if you can't be with yourself, 
Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't be with them. No, you can't. So the whole process, what Laura talked about, how when she approached the 10 gifts, she, she approached it with excitement because she had already done the work. Yep, exactly. You had, you had already done the work. You had, um, you know, like I said, they agree with your adversary. You had come to terms with what you couldn't do. You applied mm-hmm. compassion to that yeah. and you, you didn't deny the facts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, know, you embraced saying- the facts. You embrace the facts and comfort them. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of funny. I like I because I wanted them to receive it so much. I was even more like, I did not give you this gift, and they were like, we know, and like, and I was like really adamant though, like you know, I didn't give it to you at all. Like you need to get this gift. They're like, we know. So it was like almost like the reverse of shame of like I wanted to expose the lack because I wanted their need to be met. So as you're listening to this the goal, the goal here is, is, is for you to develop a hopeful stance because Mm -hmm. no matter where the dynamic is in the relationship with your child, the first step to mending that relationship, if it's not where you want it to be is, is you take the first step by taking Mm -hmm. care of you. Yep, exactly. If you're struggling with your adult children and you're listening to this thinking, okay, what can I do for my adult children? We're going to turn it back to you and say, what can you do for you? Because that will always be the most powerful thing you can do for your children at any time period in their life is for you to take care of you, for you to get your needs met, for you to show yourself compassion, because that will actually set you up to not be a triggered parent, but to be a true parent. Yeah. Yeah. And part of this is to trying to help break the cycle. You know, even for me personally, it it is obviously very hard for me to be okay when my kids aren't okay. And I'm recognizing a lot of the things I do for my upper teenage adult children or have done through the years that I think is helping them. Mm -hmm. But really all I'm doing is pacifying my own triggers. Exactly. And I'm actually stunting, I'm stunting their development. Definitely. And that is another reason why you want to take care of your triggers and your pain, because the defensive measures that we do to protect ourselves from our kids being uncomfortable and happy is actually hindering them. They need to feel pain, just like we need to feel pain, because if you don't feel pain, you can't get comfort. And if we continue to try to protect them from pain, because it scares us, because it triggers us when our kids are in pain, that's going to limit their ability to feel that pain and connect with their own internal world. So just, I, I got to be careful here because I don't want to share examples that out my kills. Exactly. <laughs> my children or my Nor parents. Do but, I. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is if, if a kid is making poor decisions mm-hmm. and a parent constantly feels the need to, to come in and rescue, intervene. Yeah. to come in and to save them and to change it and try to protect them from it. And in your mind, you, you know, you're doing it with the best of intentions. You're probably doing exactly. it because you think it's what they need. But what really is happening is it ends up being more about you it than really it is, is about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've even had I've one of my um, kids when, when she likes to like pay her own way and she likes to be responsible and she's had a job from a young age. And so I want to come in and rescue her and keep her savings, you know, and I, she's young, she's actually under 18. And so I'm like, no, you're under 18. I'll pay for this. And she's like, mom, this is my car. This is my responsibility. Stop trying to pay for it. And it was like so shocking. I'm like thinking every kid would want their parent to pay for it, you know, but she's actually literally saying because she's grown in her own 
inner mm-hmm. world because I've been training and teaching her for her whole life or since she was about three or four years old, how to be able to be strong within herself. She's now calling me out when I just want to make it comfortable for her, when I want to take responsibility for her. And she's already at 17 saying, mom, no, this is my responsibility. Stop trying to intervene. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> I still want to, but how about half? She's like, stop. <laughs> yeah. And as, as we've talked about before, my, my tendency is, is not as much to blame others as it is to blame myself. So I would be yeah. more likely to blame my kids. If my kids aren't doing something that I perceive as being, you know, good, mm-hmm. I would be more likely to blame myself for that scenario. Like you go if, through and you do your inventory of all the times that you made mistakes to be able to say, that's why they're making those decisions. Well, there, there's no doubt. I see my, my biggest deficiency in the 10 gifts is enough, not mm. feeling like I'm enough. Yeah. So instantly when they're, so I see that, well, yeah. I see that in them and in my heart breaks because mm-hmm. oh, I'm like, yeah. they don't think they're enough right now. Yes. Yes. And it's because I know I couldn't give them that gift, mm-hmm. you know, and it, yeah. it just kind of like the blame, the shame, where the yes. self self blame, which is really shame. Um, the self-blame really kind of takes over. And one of the things I recognize as we were prepping for this podcast is that there is an element of the compassion method that does take uh, a high degree of trust. Yeah. And that is the trust that God brought and will bring the gifts to our children, the emotional needs. Even when we didn't. That we couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't give my children the gift of enough. No, I didn't have it. it. Yeah. You can't give what you don't have. And there's the trust that somewhere, somewhere, somehow Mm -hmm. God God delivered that gift in a package that wasn't the package that was intended Mm -hmm. because the goal would have been, it would have came from me, (laughs) but it came, it came some other way. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful redemption process to trust that help will come for your children. The other love sources will come and stand in the gap for your lack. And that's the the humility and the vulnerability of parenting that says, I couldn't, but others can. Yeah. Yeah. And part of my trust is that God knew in advance. Mm-hmm. I know he did. Yeah. And he's been, and he's not just been sending like one person to show your kids they're enough. He's been sending hundreds of people yeah. in all different ways to start to show your kids what they needed and be able to help give that to them now because their brains are still neuroplastic, ready to receive. Yeah. I, I think of God as being absolutely relentless at sending love our direction. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just kind of like coming in all these weird packages sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, I guess my, my shift has been, Lord, just give my kids eyes to see. Yeah. Eyes when to I, see your love yep, in exactly. those packages. Yeah. When I was trying to help my kids have eyes to see other gift givers in their life besides me, um, they, um, it was really interesting. Like the people that they highlighted for certain gifts, because they wouldn't be who I would highlight again, when we come back to, when we're trying to do everything for our kids because we feel shame or feel frantic for them to get what they need. Even listening to this, someone's probably making notes of being like, okay, I've got to give my kids the 10 gifts and I've got to, you know, be proactive in that. That's Laura's fault because she said it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, but one of the 
cool, the unique process for each of our kids and their discovery is that they're going to find people that we wouldn't necessarily pick for them. I was, when I was going through with them, I was saying, oh, what about aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so or this? And they're like, no, I think this random person that I barely even knew influenced them at all, or they impacted at all. And they're picking these people. And I think that's actually so cool though, because as parents, yes, of course, we know our kids more than most, but we still, our kids are still uniquely themselves and they're going to get what they need, even when it's not always what we think that they're going to need because they're different than us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think I can uh, underemphasize the importance of if you're really maybe hearing some of the stuff for the first time, how important going back and listening to the 10 gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it really because, is. It's a real foundational yeah. piece of parenting that unfortunately myself included, many people did not even know by as a, like not even knowing we were doing it. We did give some of the gifts to our kids. Oh yeah, but, definitely. You know, like they just happened naturally because we had them because our parents them. gave them to them, gave them to us, but we didn't have the same intentionality as the knowledge of having them. So now you get not only the ability to recognize what your kids need and either you give them or you find people that can give them to them, but you also have the intentionality to be more direct and precise with giving gifts. Yeah. So for those that would like to go back and do that, listen to those episodes, episodes five and 25 would be just great ones to listen to. Yeah. So so one of the other things that I think we tend to do with our, with our children is we tend to project our pain onto them. You, you mm-hmm. mentioned that when we were prepping that. And as I thought about that, yeah, there's scenarios where my kids have gone through stuff and I'm like reliving it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's having a much, but what I've learned at times is having a much different impact on me than it is them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because like you have it might, it, pain. it might be devastating me, but they're like, yeah, dad, no, it really wasn't that big a deal. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you're just in denial. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they're like, into the world. <laughs> and I'm like, no, actually I'm projecting my pain. Mm-hmm. Like they, they didn't, you know, yeah. their experience of life was different. Their pain's different. And Thankfully, they don't have a pain in that particular area that maybe I still do. Yeah, exactly. And on the flip side of projecting pain, sometimes we minimize pain because it's Mm. not our pain. True. Yeah, it's a good point. You gave a you gave a story once. This was about a younger child, but that um, I think mom was late to pick him up or something like that. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And and to and she was like, I was like ten minutes late, but or Mm -hmm. half hour late or whatever it was. But the kid was like. It like you had been gone hours. for day, days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. and it had started the imagination that the mom had died. And the mom mm. arrives and says, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I was late. And the kid's devastated and goes on to have nightmares for multiple weeks. And that's when they ended up coming into my office to work through that. And one of the big things was that the mom was very kind, very loving, but she was minimizing it. Because in her adult brain, she's only 10 minutes late. It wasn't hours and days and she wasn't dead and she was alive and everything was fine in her brain. But from the child's perspective, the mom did, the the child lived it as if it was true and needed comfort and reassurance and nurture as if it was true, because that's Mm -hmm. how their imagination lived that moment. Even though it was only 10 minutes in their brain, they were outside of time and it felt like hours. Yeah. 
Yeah. Their, their perspective is their reality. And that's a hard thing as parents. You know, I remember with my four kids when, you know, we'd have the same exact scenario happening and all four would interpret it differently. And I would just be like, how are they interpreting it so differently? And I wanted to come in as the adult brain and say, no, this is what happened. And mm. instead of doing that, I heard them. I was with them in it. I comforted them as if it was true. Even again, another hum- humility moment for parents or a humble moment for parents is to be able to say, even though I know that's not how it, it went down, that's how you experienced it. And I'm really willing to humble myself to bring compassion and nurture and comfort, even if that's not exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I think everyone's getting some great examples and probably seeing examples that we're describing, they're seeing where they're getting triggered with their kids. Mm -hmm. They're seeing, they're seeing their triggers and, and hopefully you're starting to be able to separate triggered behavior from who you really are. And, and kind of how I'd like to finish today is really talking about how to empower parents Mm -hmm. here. And, and also maybe as we're doing that, we can, I can give one at least because I'm sure Laura's never done this. Um, <laughs> no, I've, you know, kind I of the, have. <laughs> a big temptation with the compassion method is um, um, doing the compassion method to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and we talked Trying about to this fix as, them. Yeah. Yep. As we were prepping, I mean, you, you hit this was, yeah, we're fixing. So anytime that we get into this fixing mode, like mm-hmm. I've got to fix them, they need to be doing mm-hmm. the compassion method. They need to be yeah. learning. They need to be learning what I'm learning because if they would yep. just learn what I'm learning, then I could mm-hmm. be okay. <laughs> so anytime we have this huge need to fix them, we know that we're triggered. And what we have to do is remote control. Take pause care it, of ourselves. Pause yeah. it, turn to our own heart mm-hmm. and walk through the remote control exercise, yeah. walk through learning to take care of ourselves and you said something that was really, really powerful and, you know, really grabbed me. You said how we actually empower our children with what we're learning is we live it toward them. Yeah. It's the most powerful thing. I like that. Our kids. Yeah. Yeah. We want to live when, it toward them. And when you show up, like you were saying earlier, okay, with them and they can make terrible decisions and they can have mistakes and they can do all those things, but you're clear-minded, you're tender-hearted, you're at peace with them. It creates such a space of connection and relationship because they know they're not being fixed because they can feel your peace and they can feel that you're okay with them and that you still see them, their true self. You still see them for who they are. So much of the time we're only seeing the negative things and the pain points and we're not actually able to see who they are in the midst of that. So yeah, we we must do this for ourselves. And we also, you gave a really good definition of hypocrisy. Um, do you remember what it was? Or do you want me to read what you told me? <laughs> you you can read it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just- It'll come this, back to me. <laughs> this came from you. You're like, yeah, kids see your hypocrisy straight away. Like they see it right away. Yeah, they do. And you said in the context of this, hypocrisy is when parents are trying to have their kids do something that they, the parents, have not done for themselves. Exactly. So if you get in that fixing mode, like, hey, mm-hmm. kids, you need to listen to this podcast episode. You do this, whatever, you know. Yep. And the kids recognize, yeah, but 
mom, dad, you, you haven't done that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, that's the hypocrisy. That's, and they see it right hypocrisy. away. Yep, yeah, exactly. But if you model it to them, they're able to see it and learn from it because you're actually doing it for yourself. Yeah. Yep. And one other thing that I, I started doing was when, when I find myself triggered in that relationship and with the child's relationship and all I'm seeing is their behavior. What I started doing was go back and looking at their child pictures. Oh yeah. I love that. What a great idea. Cause it helps bring me back to their true selves, like who yeah. they really are. Yes. And then I actually started taking it one step forward. Like when I know they're having a really hard time, I'll, I might send them their child picture mm. and say, Help Hey, mind them too. Yes. This I said like, this, Hey, and this is how I see you. <laughs> yeah. This little girl needs a hug. Mm-hmm. I love that. Let's give this little girl a hug. She yeah. needs a hug. What a tangible way of helping yeah. you connect with who your children really are, but then also helping them connect with who they really are. Yeah. It kind of helps remind them, yeah. remind me and remind them who they are. Yeah. And kind of what Brian's referencing to goes back to the child self when we've connected with child self before. And so instead of just connecting with our own child self, we're connecting with our children's child self and helping them do the same. Yeah. And another thing that I've done with the kids that I thought was really great. A few years ago, we did this at Thanksgiving. We did the, how am I seen exercise? Oh yeah. Kind of around the room and we recorded it. So I love that. So that was the, how am I seen is where you have this list of like 20 words that you've created Mm -hmm. and we have it available on the triggered and true website. If you, if you free resource, yep, free resource, you can go there and and click on the top and, and get that. But it's this list of words and the kids would each pick out a word that Mm -hmm. described one word, Mm -hmm. you know, for each kid. And then they just explained why they picked it. Yeah, that's a so really powerful that. connecting and helps remind all of us, siblings yeah. and parents, who we are, because that's what we forget. All we see is behavior. And that's why there's so much strife in families is because we forget who each other are underneath our behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And remembering that the goal in all of this is connection. Yeah, exactly. So connection with up, your heart. Yeah. Yep. Connection mm-hmm. with your heart first, because you can't connect to your kids until you've connected yeah. to yourself. Connection with your heart. And then then you'll have the ability to connect and be there yeah. for your kids. Yep, exactly. Even when it's messy. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. especially, especially when it's messy. When it's messy. Yeah. And that's one thing, especially for adult kids that we minimize the importance of when you don't know what to do, when you don't know how to reach your child, when you have taken care of your heart, but you're still not sure what to do. You know, being able to recognize that you can be with your child, whether that's literally sitting next to them or just being with them in your heart towards them, even if they're not right next to you, but you can be with your child in their pain, in their process, even if you can't help them, even if you can't fix it, even if you can't change it, there's so much power in just saying, I don't know what to do right now, but I'm right here with you. I'm not going to leave you. You can be as messy as you need to be. And I'll sit right here with you, mm-hmm. literally or figuratively. We're sitting right there with our adult kids. And that is one of the most powerful things you can do. It feels to a lot of parents like you're doing nothing. But that being with, especially with adult children, is a powerful way to hold space for them to be able to go through their pain and their lack 
with you being present with them. But you will not be able to be present with them until you take care of your own pain because you will instinctively just be trying to fix them and not being able to truly be with them. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be in fight, flight, freeze, and you might not, you might not try to fix them. You might just run away from them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> run far away because yeah. it's really uncomfortable. They might be calling and you might be hitting <laughs> ignore, 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 ignore. You exactly. Know? So, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes hitting it nor is what you do need to do. And it's about, but now it's more about a preference versus that, oh my God, I can't listen to them. The stakes mm-hmm. are so high, you know. Exactly. You'll know you're making progress when the stakes come down. Yep. And you become more curious about your child yeah. than trying to control or change them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in all of it, there's an opportunity because when your kids are touching on something that's taking you to that place of not being okay. The opportunity yeah. there is now I can go take care of me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your kids can expose things inside of you yeah. that, that are unresolved healed. yet. Yeah, exactly. You'd be grateful for those pressure points because they're leading you to comfort. Well, thank you, Laura, for shining, shining some light on this for all of us. And yeah. um, again, for us, this is very close to home. And, and if you are a parent and you maybe don't have children these ages yet, it's coming. But mm-hmm. the best way to prepare for it is to take care of yourself now. Exactly. If you take care of yourself now, you'll be ready for anything that comes up with your kids. Because and you'll, be, you'll okay be more positioned to give, if your kids are younger, you'll be more positioned to be actually give mm-hmm. your kids those gifts. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can change the narrative. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these narratives in our families are generations old. Yeah. Generations of lack usually. Yep. Generations of lack that just keeps getting passed down from one generation to the next. And and we have the power to stop that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and a really offensive way of getting our kids filled yeah. up. Absolutely. Getting the future generations filled with love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, some homework is to go back and listen to those podcasts five and 25 mm-hmm. on yeah. the 10 gifts. That's a great next step. And we look forward to hearing any questions or comments you have about this topic or any others. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Triggered and True. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at CompassionMethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. Thank you again. Goodbye.